Today is April 19th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Hoki, Naganago Mekochi Chestakom Aki. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include both the, well, include all of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, composed of the Wesley, Chinooki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Dene from Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government, signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot. I was born in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, another English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is an, a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest, and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner, and in this case, my role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I tried to learn the proper pronunciation of many Blackfoot terms I used. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything that we've talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress line centers in your area as well. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. A uh, huge thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you to those that cannot afford to give but listen in. I would love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your questions and oh, any comments that you have as well. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors. Um... Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Oof, that was a lot. Well, I wanted to um, start out with something that warmed my heart. On Thursday, I got a, a message. Hi there, Michelle. I just found your podcast and I'm in tears. I'm so grateful to have found it. My family is from Yellowknife. And we are Dene, but I'm the first generation not born there. My ancestors survived the residential schools and chose not to speak about their experience or any of their culture. 
following what was done to them. My mom and her siblings were the first not to really be taught anything about their ancestors, traditions, history, or culture. I've been so privileged to learn from leaders in different communities, but I have literally never found another Dene from Yellowknife yet. I was planning to visit there with my mom this summer, but obviously that's not going to happen now. I'm so grateful that I've found your podcast and I have every intention of listening to every episode. Sorry for the wall of text, but I just wanted to tell you how grateful I am. And we had a wonderful conversation and that like made me want to cry on the spot. So that was a super happy message to get. Um, that's why when I say I'd love to hear from you, I mean it. Um, yeah, it's just nice to hear from other people and, and hear what they think of the show and uh, go from there. So, you know, today is the 19th of April. So, and it's late in the day and a lot of stuff has happened today, just today. So today we had, um, today's the anniversary of, well, 25 year anniversary of the Oklahoma federal building, uh, bombing that happened, that terrorist attack. And, you know, so I was like, now I have to have those conversations where I get to watch all the whitewashing. And then this awful thing happened in the news where there was an active shooter in Nova Scotia. And the RCMP at one point in time tweeted out that they had the shooter in custody. And then later it came out they shot and killed them. So in the time it took for us to get that tweet out to the time that the other stuff about him being shot and killed came out, there was a huge gap. And it was really upsetting to a lot of us who are people of color after like the Winnipeg police have gone and shot and killed three people within a week. And um, you know, all people of color, of course. And then, you know, this active shooter in Nova Scotia happens to be white. I was just reading, uh, you know, this is completely, um, I'm not a journalist and this is just rumor and hearsay on Facebook, but it looked like the active shooter was killing his ex-wife, all of his own children with her, her new boyfriend, all of the ex's uh, parents, so slaughtered her family. And I can't tell you how angry that makes me. Because the most vulnerable time a woman is most likely to be killed by her ex is when she leaves them. And clearly she left, had a new boyfriend, and that just pissed him off and he felt like he had to kill. But here's the thing, not just a little. Like this wasn't a, fuck, I'm so angry and I'm totally going to go kill this guy. It wasn't like that. He was so methodical. He wanted an assault rifle. Two, he went and he bought an auctioned RCMP vehicle and then he got himself a uniform and then he went and killed all of these people. He didn't stop there. There sounds like there's like 16 people that are dead. And uh, so a Mountie was killed as well. And it sounds like she was a, a mother of two kids and she was like a, I don't know, 23 year veteran of the force already. So like a lot happened in like the last I don't know 12 hours and I'm still trying to process that and <laughs> one I just don't understand why people think they need assault rifles I don't understand why they're even legal in this country and and I'm talking folks that are listening to me 
I believe strongly in the in the right to have um, a rifle to go hunting, and for those for those rights, I have my restricted and unrestricted firearms license, and that's me. I think that every person should know how to you know disarm a firearm, um, have that skill behind them. These are things I believe in wholeheartedly, but I don't think anyone needs an assault rifle. I just don't believe that. Um, you know, that's not how you kill an animal. Uh, in Indigenous ways, we have strong ceremony that goes to, um, you know, killing an animal. And a lot of, in, in our ways, it's seen as a sacrifice. Um, anyway, anyway, it's I'm getting off track. I'm just pissed because <laughs> women trying to leave their husbands always ends up resulting in something like this. And I just, ah, she left him. Obviously, he was a controlling jerk. Um, yeah, he went and did not just killed her and all of her family, but he had to go kill more people too. And yep, that's that's the way we have allowed misogyny in this country to continue for so long. Now let's get started on all of the murders that the Winnipeg police have done in the last week. Three people have died. Uh, one was a 16-year-old Indigenous girl. Now apparently they were she was stealing liquor from a liquor store, but last time I checked, that's not a reason to execution. Well, I'm not to execute uh, a young Indigenous girl. This is the place where Tina Fontaine was. This is like it's so hard because. In a lot of ways, when McLean's came out and said, Winnipeg's the most racist place on the planet, well, in Canada, um, a lot of us were kind of like, mm, I don't know, man, I think you need to come out to Alberta. Mm, I don't know. I think you need to come to Toronto. Mm, I don't know. And the bottom line is, racism is all across the country. But the fact is, is that Winnipeg can just get away with this. This is not okay. Well, we've had quite a number of uh, shootings here in Calgary as well. Desmond Cole has been doing great work at trying to put some of these uh, police killings together in a list because it's needed, unfortunately, the amount of people that are, you know, killed. So, um, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to put that out there that this has been a really uh, awful week of just trying to process the amount of random killing that happens in Canada and everyone seems totally cool with it. <sighs> okay. Also that's happened this weekend that doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Well, it does make sense to me. Ignorance, ignorance, ignorance creates this. In the States, they wanted to have like mass uh, protests about um, the government telling people to stay inside. They think that they have the right to protest that. Um, and then here in Canada, we had people do it here too. Uh, Dan Dix out in Vancouver is doing it. And he, like, I'm going to say this. I Like, I've personally met Dan, um, had beers with him, thought he was a cool dude. He did this great documentary about the G20 and... Um, the, the loss of civil rights that happened during the G20, like people were corralled in dog cages and, you know, the police were awful to everyone there. People who just lived in Toronto got thrown into some of these, these places and, you know, there was no washrooms and people had to pee in front of other people. It was awful, like awful, awful, awful. So 
he did this really great documentary called uh, Into the Fire. And that's kind of what put him on my radar. And, you know, he, I'm, I'm trying to encapsulate what it was like being, because I was in that whole truth or movement, because prior to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission coming out, there was no room in Canada to talk about um, things that the Canadian government had done to Indigenous, like liberals were like, shut up, blah, 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 blah. And I should say this right now, um, that gap in between when the RCMP tweeted out that they had the active shooter in custody and to the time it's come out that he died. Well, one, we have no details on that. Two, why is the shooter being killed in custody? But then lastly, in that short time, anyone Indigenous or, or people of color like Desmond, myself, and there was a, a prof out in Dahousie, she tweeted out about it. You would not believe how relentless all of these white supremacists have been at like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, uh, the, he is dead. So like totally like I, I can't even believe this, but like apologists that it's, you know, oh, it can't be racism. What are you talking about? Like we have three dead um, people of color, indigenous girl, <laughs> and this is how white supremacists get treated. I mean, today is the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing, and yet there are still people who won't. There, I see news articles that went out today that still did not use the term terrorist, and and that's that whitewashing. And so we have these like, you know, white supremacist apologists that are so quick to pounce on anyone of color saying, oh, no, 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 the police did kill this guy, as if that somehow makes that okay. And, you know, we can't even talk about it. Um, they're just too quick to pounce on a people of color because they just absolutely have to uphold that white supremacy. And that's what was happening, I was finding, um, you know, say from whatever, 2005, all the way up to... I guess the release of the TRC would have been 2015. So for those 10 years, like we were just were not allowed to talk about racism in Canada. And it wasn't until that came out, it seemed like only then would Canada be like, yeah, I guess we have a bit of a little racist problem here. But they still want to downplay it all the time. You know, um, so quick to pounce on people right away about, oh, well, they actually did kill them. Whoa. Why is it you have so much energy to come after Desmond Cole, a prof out at Dalhousie, myself, but you don't have that same energy to call out, say, the last three deaths this week in Winnipeg? You know, it, that's the problem there. You want to quickly apologize for, oh, no, 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 you know, Canada's not racist, but when there is blatant um, issues of racism you're not there you're not standing with us so anyway I was going to try to go back to um, you know these protests all across North America this weekend about um, you know standing up for your own rights not letting the government telling you what to do you damn rednecks that's all people of color have ever experienced we are so over policed today I went over to co-op Hawks helicopter, almost like literally landing in co-op's 
um, parking lot. And some cop comes whipping around the corner to go check out because, God forbid, there must have been, what, three people on the parks behind the co-op that must have, you know, <sighs> deadly COVID. But that's the point. My area, we have over-policing. The rest of the city, no. <laughs> Not going to happen. And in fact, they've actually, um, so they, as in the city, Calgary City of Police, have changed the mandate so that the diversity team and the, the hate crimes folks, like, I can't even get a hold of them because they're all on beat patrol now. So they basically dismantled the office, like, in a second because of this pandemic. And now, like, legitimate hate problems, we can't even get a hold of the officers we've already built a relationship with. Shocking, right? So this is a lot of stuff that has been happening over the last week. And I just, <sighs> I'm trying to process it, trying to put it together in a good way for people to hear and understand what it's like to be, you know, a month into this COVID-19 pandemic. But the truth is, is that uh, I just, I, as we all know, um, laws are meant to marginalize the most marginalized. And that's what we're seeing. And then you have folks with the most extreme privilege going out and being like, we're going to exercise our rights because that is our right. We get to do that because we are Free, whether we're American or whether we're Canadian, we get to do whatever we want. And I'm like, well, I guess so. You're all descendants of people who, you know, have stolen land and you get to have the wealth that was based off of the backs of people that, you know, whether blacks or indigenous, like either way, it's like totally not your work that you've gotten your wealth from. So it sucks. It just sucks watching this right now where um, you get to see the worst of the worst of people. Um, today, there was uh, a fellow here in Calgary who does the Calgary Street Church, and his name is Arthur Pulowski, and he got a fine, and the rebel news took it upon themselves to start a GoFundMe to pay for his fine. And I just find it so deplorable and so disappointing because, um, you know, the whole time they're there, all they do is is preach about God, uh, preach about Jesus, and preach about the Bible. So you legitimately have Indian residential school survivors that are homeless because of the trauma imposed by the state. They don't see the irony in any of this, by the way. And we already have genocide happening from all of the government policies that have been imposed on Indigenous people. And then we have this pandemic. So if one of them has asymptomatic um, symptoms or asymptomatic um, exposure, then <laughs> just because a street church guide may not be showing, you know, fever, sneezing, whatever the COVID-19 um, symptoms are, doesn't mean he's not in possession of the virus and can transmit it by, as we all know, speaking moistly is now a Canadian thing. Um, but for real, that's that's for real, that you can spread it into the homeless population, then perpetuating genocide. And they, they, they don't even see the irony to this. They don't even understand the gravity of what, what they're doing. But, you know, they won't ever <laughs> see it. They won't care. And uh, they'll just continue this negative cycle of abuse onto Indigenous people, um, homeless Indigenous people, nonetheless. 
And uh, and that's another thing. Like here we have uh, the Alberta government said that they were going to house them in hotels and then that never followed through. And all across the country, we're seeing, you know, those who are homeless, those who are in prisons getting and and just this COVID-19 spreading like wildfire. And and it sucks because the Canadian society, who's already in denial of Indigenous issues, already in denial of, you know, uh, stolen lands, in denial of their standing of the land based off of stolen, of, um, you know, wealth per- perpetuated on the backs of Indigenous people, all of these things add up. They are completely oblivious. No concept of any of this. Um, the racist bias that's already in the justice system the trauma that never gets proper um, health care, but instead gets just, and when I say justice, the injustice system is thrown upon and imposed on Indigenous people. So we have like, you know, minimum 30% Indigenous in the jail system. Some t- I've heard of um, different jails like in Saskatchewan and that where it's like 90% Indigenous people. And again, this is uh, rather than treating health care. No, 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 no. We're just going to throw people in jail, therefore, therefore continuing that pipeline of incarceration of Indigenous people, whether from Indian residential schools to social services to the jails. Like, it's just constant. And this is, again, all in all of the reports that I mention in every single one of my podcasts, whether it's the Truth and Reconciliation Commission or the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women uh, Inquiry Report. It's all laid out. Uh, the Royal commission on aboriginal people in 1996 laid out a lot of this so it's not from a lack of knowledge it's just canadians apathy and uh, ignorance that allows them to continue to you know do the things that they do so we have um you know a real problem here with uh homeless people and people in prisons contracting this which just again perpetuates the genocide that Canadians impose on indigenous people and usually by just that dumb luck um because they are so oblivious to what the reality and the situation is so here we are um yeah and I I want to give a shout out especially to um people of color that are black uh here in the northeast we have a lot of brown people um we are all collectively being targeted. Sex workers, LGBTQ2+, those with disabilities, we're all targeted. We're the easy targets. Um, I was in co-op, not yesterday, but the day before. And um, <laughs> I don't know if this family was, they were acting shifty. There's no nice way to say it. So there was four white people. They were all really cute, blonde, blue-eyed, really cute. But they were acting guilty acting shifty, acting like they knew they weren't supposed to be there together as a family of four. And what I found interesting was this. I have been at my co-op quite a bit through this last month, and they are very clear, one person per household, unless you have a unique circumstance. So like that was clearly not a unique circumstance. Um, you know, there are people and my my friend Heather, who was recently on the show, she pointed this out. She said that uh, there there are people who have like anxiety issues and such. So need to go with uh, certain people like how many elderly people probably need assistance. You know, like I'm not trying to um, single out them, but here here we had four able bodied people. And they were, you know, 
going against the arrows that were laid out for us to all follow. So I knew they were purposely trying to buck all the rules. So they're, whatever, whether it's just ignorance or privilege, I don't know why co-op let all four of them in, but they did. And they were there just going the opposite ways of all the arrows. And you could just tell that they were trying to exercise their rights, but they were doing it at the cost of everybody else's expense. They, um, when I got home, like it was full out. I have a washing system. If you're on my TikTok, I'm sure you've seen my, I'm the cringy auntie on there who does the, you know, safety TikTok <laughs> of having their washing bin and bringing that as a travel precaution wherever you go, because, you know, the hand sanitizer is good, but hand washing is better. So that's why I have that with me. And, um, you know, and I have a procedure when I get back from the house or back from the store and to the house, then I, I wash my hands. I wash down my steering wheel, my everything. I just wash down the handlebars, everything, wash down all of the bags as I bring them in, have a way of once I have them in a certain spot, washing everything as I go, like it's just wash, 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 wash. And I could clearly tell this family did not, like they didn't wear masks. They didn't care in any way, shape or form. My masks are not medical masks. They're just uh, cotton masks that I uh, throw in the wash after every single use and re reuse. And I'm not one of those latex people. I'm seeing a lot of latex gloves being taken off and being left in the co-op parking lot. And, um, you know, it's a sad reality. Um, I think that if it was me, I would be over-policed on that. But, you know, other people are getting away with it. And I don't understand why people are doing it at all, frankly. Um, but here we are. There are some good things coming out of... Um, well, I guess... No, there's not. There's not good stories coming out of COVID-19. There are moments of kindness and interactions that even I appreciate. Um, Haley Wickenheiser you know, wanted to get masks for, um, the nursing staff and the doctors in, in the hospital. I'm pretty sure. So for those who don't know who I'm talking about, she is the, um, team Canada, uh, captain for the women's team. And I'm pretty sure she's enrolled in medical school. So that's why I can see why this was so important to her. So anyway, then Ryan Reynolds was like, yeah, totally. We got to do this. So then he started amplifying her voice and, um, as if Haley Wickenheiser needs her voice ampli amplified in Canada, but whatever. Um, anyway, that was happening. And then my stupid premier was like, oh, yeah, no, we totally have masks. And he made it a complete political partisan issue. And he would ship them to conservative-led provinces with a big, you know, um, needed thank you from that other premier and a big production and show and pictures to show that he's doing all of this. Here's the thing. I don't know if you're, if you're hearing this out in the media, but the shipment that he had ordered was some cheap batch from China that wasn't even working, that broke. Um, it wasn't a spec compared to the other ones that they had given away to the other provinces. So honestly, here in Alberta, it's just a nightmare. And then federally... Um, okay, one thing that's a little funny. So my Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is uh, his hair is growing out and the wind is hitting it funny. 
So I seen two things. One was a cute meme that was like, you know, making fun of him and Wolverine because his hair kind of did a thing that looked like Wolverine, which was funny. But the funnier thing was people were taking a, a video of him coming down the stairs <laughs> and like taking his hair and running his hand through it to get it right. And and then, you know, putting jazz music to it or other music to it that's like sensual music or whichever. And <laughs> I've been getting so many private messages from people and I finally just relented and I'm like, fine, I'll just post it. Um, and, and here's the problem is that people think I just love Justin Trudeau, but uh, I think even from my point of view, like that's just funny. Uh, but you know, people take it wrong and like even my own dad hates Justin Trudeau. So it's hard because, uh, you know, a lot of like people who just hate, uh, liberals and hate, hate, uh, Justin for no really good reason. They always actually go back to his hair and it was like, I can't believe anybody would vote for a guy based on his hair. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I can't believe anybody would vote for a conservative after all of the crap they've done. But, you know, I'm a little more about policy than I am about hair. And <laughs> here we are. Hair we are. <laughs> Sorry, I'm awful at these uh, bad puns. So uh, that's at least funny. But what's not funny is that federally... Andrew Scheer is the conservative leader right now. And he's like, we want to bring parliament back to, to Ottawa because we need to be doing more oversight. And I, I'm just annoyed at this because you know, you have to understand from my point of view, I mean, I've been fighting the conservatives since what, 2010 ish at least. And I, I seen all of the things that they were doing and I just absolutely did not believe in anything of what they were doing. So here we are where, you know, Jason Kenney wants to actually do this um, going back into the government and, and having all of these MPs fly on planes, come to Ottawa, be in the exact same room for not a very good reason at all. And it's not just him it's like all of these staffers that have to go with them as well so he's like you know parliament is an essential service there's represent uh, representatives in japan italy france germany greece sweden finland and the eu parliament are meeting during these freedom trying times um our democracy shouldn't be different canadians are counting on us and he has an open letter that's stupid and I, when I first seen it, I was just so like, you're like you idiot. And and but instead of saying that, I said uh, you were part of Harper's government that prorogued Parliament four times, and I I just couldn't believe everybody just was letting him get away with this. But that did get a lot of retweets and a lot of likes, so that was good. But um, it, I, I can't believe people need to be reminded this is the guy who did that, and um. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever for everybody to be getting together when easily, you know, all of the MPs across the country and Justin Trudeau and their leaders, like, it's easy for them to all be in touch. How many of us right now are in Zoom meetings? In fact, I'm getting to the point where I'm overlapping my Zoom meetings and I have to start saying, oh, I can't. I already have another Zoom meeting at that time. And 
if I'm experiencing that, I know other people are. But if you're a member of parliament, there is absolutely no reason. Every single one of you have an office that you can easily do some type of transmission if you have to, um, you know, do a Zoom meeting with your leader or do a Zoom meeting with the prime minister. Like, it does not make a lick of sense for everybody to be flying across the country for this pandemic. But you know what? Um, it was the conservatives that muzzled all the scientists and did all of the work that they could to possibly... Um, bash uh, science in general when they were in charge. So now that they're not in charge, of course, it's driving them nuts that we are actually listening to medical doctors and scientists about what is, you know, their recommendations for the next moves. And um, I'm sad and disappointed. Like, I'm the first person to get around a conspiracy theory. Um, you know, some of my favorites we never landed on the moon that Stanley Kubrick did it. Um, which by the way, I had a wonderful conversation with Jesse went and he said that he's like devoted a lot of his studying towards Stanley Kubrick. He said, that's not even possible. And I'm, on the inside, I'm like, mm, are you sure? <laughs> anyway, uh, the Titanic, uh, the amount of people that were on that ship that were wealthy, that didn't want to go to war and mysteriously all drowned. You know, like there's some really great conspiracies out there. But with this COVID-19, I'm not on the conspiracy board right now. Um, and I think if you're a regular listener, you would know why. You know I went to school with Dr. Dina Henshaw. I did a whole episode, a tribute to her. And I believe in her. I believe in what she says. I'm going to follow her. And guess what? She's going to evolve her recommendations as the situation evolves, and I don't understand how conservatives who muzzled scientists before can't wrap their brains around these concepts. Um, I don't know. I, I cannot <laughs> understand it one tiny bit. But here we are. So I, uh, I, I wanted to put together, you know, some some different things to talk about today. But it just seems like a week goes by so quick sometimes when it comes to this and so much happens in such a short period of time. Tomorrow I have my book club uh, from the ashes, Jesse Thistle's book. So if you got to see my um, live video a month ago, it's already been a month now. So a month ago was the Monday that everything shut down. So I didn't want to cancel my book club because I just don't have that in me where I can cancel my book club. So we did a last minute uh, Podbean thing where people could call in, but nobody did. So this time we decided to do a Zoom meeting. So I've put it out to a few people. And if you're interested in uh, being a part of that, just message me, let me know. I do share all the time about the book club. It's only once a month. You don't have to read the whole book. You can just come and listen be a part of the conversation in the best way that you can. And if you're Indigenous, I would love to hear your point of view, especially if you read the book, because uh, and, and in my book club, Indigenous Speak First and then Settlers. So that's a lot. And I feel like we could just keep going on because I have so much I would like to say. But Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports and commissions in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, 
if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, which really matters today when being how we've had our worst shooter ever, indigenous education, if they're cutting uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to actions, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, the violence prevention programs, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls in Two-Spirit. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in justice, educational and health institutions, with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties and or local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. A really great article I've said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. I always want to talk about cultural safety and how, how that looks so that you can create a safer space for marginalized people. One, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support system for yourself where you can advocate for socially or for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Don't always expect this to come from the marginalized uh, group. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your assumptions, your biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. Um, here to help.bc.ca has a whole thing about what is Indigenous cultural safety and why you should care about it if you want to have a hard copy of what I said. Uh, internalized or lateral uh, internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence indigenous or marginalized people experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands through the Indian Act, Indian residential schools, on all sorts of other land clearing policies. Uh, there's a really great uh, do's and don'ts bystander intervention by American Friends Committee. There's What is Internalized Racism by Donna Bevins. And if you witness instances of anti-Black, anti-Asian, anti-Black, and I said that twice, racist, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, or any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, you use these tips on how to intervene while considering the safety of everyone involved. Do make your presence known as a witness. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed and ask them if they want support. Move yourself nearer to the person being harassed, if possible. If you feel that you can do so, create distance or a barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so, the person being harassed consents. Film and record the incident. Take cues from the person being harassed. Is the person engaging with the harasser? Can you make suggestions like, would you like to walk with me over there or find another train car? Or would you like for him to leave you alone and then follow their lead? Notice that the person being harassed 
is already resisting in their own way and honor that. Don't tone police the person being harassed. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say tone police, Google it. It's like telling a person who's being harassed to be quiet. So it's like, oh, you know, you should totally be taking this abuse. Follow up with the individual being harassed after the incident is over. See if they need anything. I always recommend people give them your card so that you can validate that you've seen that. So that if they choose to do something later, they always have your information. Do keep yourself both safe. Assess your surroundings. Are there others nearby that you can pull in to support? Working as a team is a good idea, if it is possible. Can you and the person being harassed move to a safer space or a place? Don't call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment now, including Asian, Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, Indigenous, trans, and immigrant communities, the police can actually cause greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person uh, to safety and not incite further violence from the attacker. And don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. Teach your kids about accountability in a positive way. They are learning it from somewhere. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you go on uh, hopeforwellness.ca, you can actually text with someone. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, just typical microaggressions people dealing with internalized racism, those who are gatekeepers and survive off the status quo, or people who are so in their trauma they stop people from trying to do the work and deplete personal resources. External and internal racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. That is why I need this podcast as a boundary to be heard. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, of what a strength looks like through your example. I want to say thank you to my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and stepping up to teach me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to Darcy for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. Again, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Vanessa, Tiffany, and Veronica. 
Thank you for signing up. If you did one donation or had many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to end with when I see Calgary rabbits, you're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thanks for listening. <laughs>